Welcome back to the NES Experience. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, little housekeeping to start the episode. Very quick housekeeping. I got engaged, so you can uh, thank me by liking and subscribing to our podcast. That would be awesome. Our episode today is going to be about redshirting in college. Uh, Ned, do you want to tell us why we're going to do this episode on redshirting? Uh, yeah, we were trying to figure out topics and some of my best work comes from what's going on in-house and one of our athletes recent p5 commit and he plays football and you know what was being said in-house was oh he's gonna redshirt he's going to a p5 school uh and basically i took it i found it insulting because <clears throat> a this athlete is bigger, faster, and stronger than the people that are on the field now, um, and still growing and getting better. And when I look at or when I hear, oh, he's going to redshirt, but you're basically saying, I'm not going to make it. I'm not developed enough, and I'm not ready. And we're sitting here February 1st, and I don't think it's we're in any place to say, you know, we're, it's time to redshirt. And I feel that having that in your head impacts your ability to perform and train and stay on a timetable of achieving goals. So when my athletes come out um, out of their junior year and they take their one to two weeks off and then we sit down and we say, this is what the goal is. Or I'm sorry, did I say junior year? I meant senior year. So after their senior year, now we have college and, you know, depending on the sport, basketball your goal is getting minutes as a freshman or starting on varsity if they're a high profile player going into college being you know first team all conference so we are not having that continuous path of goal setting and goal achieving creating a lapse okay you're gonna redshirt well what's our goal then like just get better the the goal is always should be in my opinion to go shove and go start and and go and prepare and be as prepared as you can to make an impact as soon as possible. And hearing you're a P5 school, you're gonna end up redshirting, uh, that got me all fired up. So that's why I figure redshirting makes a whole bunch of sense to talk about today. Yeah, for sure. And it is a little weird people who say that too, because I don't know if they really understand how the process of redshirting works. It's not like you show up at the school or, or very rarely you show up at the school. I do know a couple of kids who this happened to and they say, hey, right off the rip, we're going to redshirt you your freshman year. There's no shot you're going to see the field at all. Um, so there are it, some schools like Amherst football to where it's just a known thing. If you're a freshman, you'll never start. But I mean. I can't give you 10 other examples. So I think, yes, there are some schools where you're more likely to do it, but um, they're few and far between. Yeah. And because the other thing, too, is if you get hurt, you know, you and you've already redshirted, you, you kind of can't do it again. So I don't know if you want me to kind of break down a little bit some of the, the redshirt information, if you want to break down some of the background redshirting information or or how you want to go about that 
but if you want me to do it, I'll I'll give it a shot. Well, let's separate sports. So, football, you know more about the football end, but what we learned is you can play up to four games, and it can still be counted as a fresh or as a red shirt. So that's a good rule change. When did that come along? Two thousand eighteen. I want to say, yeah, right around there, maybe. So that helps, guys, because you could continue to develop and then come in the last three or four games of the year and not lose it, or you go in for the first three or three games, you get hurt. And so if you get hurt, that wouldn't count for anything, correct? Uh, so you can... So if you played three games and then you got hurt, you could... That would be medical shirt. Yeah, you could redshirt. You don't have to, like, it's not like you burned that year already. So yeah. you, you could get it back. And then baseball, which is crazy. We just learned this recently. One of my athletes is getting his master's degree in athletic administration and trying to be a uh, athletic director. And for baseball, one inning and you're, you're done. Yeah, that's uh that's really ridiculous. That's uh yeah, I can't even wrap my head around that. That's pretty sad. So, you know, when we were talking about this, really you want to try and save your red shirt because you can use it in any of your four years. So another thing that we you have five if you go to a D1 school, you have 5 years to use 4 years of eligibility. So you could theoretically go two years and then redshirt your junior year by saving it and keeping it in your pocket. I feel like it gives you more leverage. Yeah, absolutely. It does because you never know. Um, I know I, I actually used mine, my junior year because I tore my ACL in practice, uh, training camp. So, yeah, I didn't use it freshman year. I didn't use it sophomore year. I wound up playing both of those years as well. So, uh, but, yeah. But could, was that a medical redshirt? It was a medical redshirt, yeah. Okay. But, but you don't, uh, but you can't use a medical redshirt and a regular redshirt. Right, yeah. Uh, you a red only get one. Shirt. You only red get shirt. one. Yeah. So, if you would have done it freshman year and then in training camp tore your ACL, you would have just been out a year. Yep. Yeah. And I know a, a few people who had that happen as well. So it kind of it stinks, but that's just the reality of it. You know, you never know. Yeah. So looking at the pros of red shirting, I mean, the big thing is that everybody talks about is you get a year to develop, which is true. And it doesn't count towards your eligibility. Now the challenge comes when you go to college and are you actually going to get developed? So depending on what school you go to and what sport you play and who your positional coaches are, that plays a lot of role. I mean, hopefully when you're trying to choose a university to go to, you're looking for these things. Like I have a couple really raw athletes that have a whole bunch of P5 offers. And part of the process of trying to place them is, you know, from a skill perspective is who's going to take the time to develop these raw guys that haven't been playing football that much. But if you look at the sport of baseball, the overall feedback that I get from college baseball players is that their college baseball coaches aren't developing them. We, I hear a lot of, you have to develop yourself. 
and that's not all um, colleges, but that is a case. And I have some in my backyard and I've seen it live. And not only do they, you have to develop yourself, but the strength and conditioning programs, they're not getting developed. That's why I have so many college kids that come to my facility to do training is because they're in college and the strength coaches are doing the exact opposite. They're hurting people. I've had some of my athletes get hurt in recovery workouts in the weight room. And I have, so this is a side tangent, but my baseball players, they train through the winter. They're getting ready based college baseball is starting in 10 to 14 days. So they go from being off and training through break. They're ready to go, but the baseball team as a whole goes through all these things. We got to run every day and they run the piss out of them because they got to get in shape. And what they're doing is they're breaking everybody down and they are ready to go because we live in a sports society of running, running, running solves everything and gets you ready. And the answer is all it's doing is running the weight off the skinny guys and breaking down the joints of the bigger guys. And like they're doing, I am getting an influx of mile run tests. Everybody's doing mile run tests. I can't think of anything that transfers over less to pitching than running a mile on a track. It's, it's absurdo. And they have to beat their times every week. Um, look, if you want to try and pull together and prepare them to run a mile for team camaraderie or whatever, but I mean, this is just ancient cryptic shit. I don't want to go off on this, but my point is if when you're a senior in high school, you, you get to control what your development is or developing is, whether it's sports coaches and pitching coaches, QB coaches and professional strength conditioning coaches to help get you to the best of where you are. We're doing as much as we can to get you as far along as you can. So when you go in there and you don't get developed, um, you're farther along than you were if you took your senior year off. So um, I get the year to develop. Now, the other side of that is there are some people that don't, they, it's called a hormonal surge, which is they're late developers, puberty kicks in late, you know, they're 18 years old. They're going into college. They have no hair under their armpits, um, and but they have humongous hands and feet. Now you can't project what everything, ever, what's going to happen with people. But if I have a kid who's five foot six right now, and he's his dad is six foot two, and his mom is five foot six, and he's sixteen years old, he hasn't hit puberty yet. You don't. If you have a six two dad and a mom five six, you're basically guaranteed to be over six feet tall. So if I'm this athlete and I'm 18 years old and I'm whatever, five foot eight and, you know, no hair on my balls, um, that would be a situation where it makes sense to redshirt because you need nature to kick in. I have athletes in college who gain an inch in height or 10 or 15 pounds in weight. They just develop later. And by redshirting that year, you're going to come in the year after that more physically developed but how many people are having these puberty problems this is we're talking about small percentages this is not i mean but the big takeaway is it's a case-by-case -case basis it really depends on who you are what sport you play where you're currently at what's going on in your life i you should continue to train to prepare to start as a freshman 
button if you fall short and they make the decision that you are not ready, then that's fine. We're only farther along. You work your ass off for the for the six months before college. You, no matter what, you're gonna be you're gonna put yourself in a better position to play later on. Um, the academic side, you do with five years, you can spread everything out and take less credit hours. You have to be able to look at yourself and say, "Am I a little bit slow?" When I was in college and the coursework, if I had to balance academics, I would have. It would have been a a tremendous help to me, but I see kids that are going through college and they're banging it through in three and a half years. So if you are lower on the educational spectrum, then I think that, you know, that's a good thing, but a lot of people, and when you're in sports, they push you through and you have your timetables and everything is monitored. And especially the sport and the higher level you play in any sport, the more you're really just going along for the ride. So you can load it up you know, and it really doesn't matter. Um, but the, a good thing is typically they pay for your fifth year. So, um, that's a benefit. You basically get an extra semester of eligibility and then that can help bridge you into getting a master's degree. That's a very common thing. You go be a GA and with their aggressive programming, you can see people that can get their, you know, certificate in business you know, some sort of extra alphabet suit behind their name in that fifth year. So those are some of the things that there are benefits of. Do you have stuff to add on that? Uh, I think you hit everything that I had, uh, you know, just off the top of my head, pretty much what you said, you know, it gets you that extra year to develop. I think really what it comes down to for me is, if a coach is saying, hey, we want you to come to our school, we're going to redshirt you your first year, and a few other coaches are saying, hey, come to our school, you know, maybe you compete, get some playing time your freshman year, you got to really consider which one you want to go to. I'd probably go to the one who, where I could compete for playing time. Uh, that's, I think that's what it is. As good as you think you are. When you go there and if the coach tells you right off the rip that you're probably going to redshirt, that means that on that depth chart of, you know, 100 football players, you're what number? You're already slotted in in the 70s and you haven't even done anything. I'm trying to play in college. I'm not trying to sit the bench. I'm not a I'm not a team player like that. Uh, if I'm on the bench, then it's probably a good idea for me to retire. Uh, but that's not really healthy, but that's why I'm a NARP now and I'm not um, a professional athlete, but I'm trying to a college athlete. I'm going to play. I want to make an impact. I don't care. I want to be on the field. So the cons of redshirting, because we know NES experience is all about talking shit and getting pissed off and bashing things because obviously I am all against <clears throat> redshirting. Um, here's what's going on. Every year there is there is new guys. So you are already sliding in lower on the depth chart and you're redshirting and they're looking to find better players. Every recruiting class has different levels of strength. And you if you get into a recruiting class that's, you know, weak on weak and running back and you're in there, you're gonna be more likely to get an opportunity or depending on what the depth chart looks like. 
But if you set out that year, what happens if you if they hit a home run and get a complete stud? Now you're competing with him. If you're in already and competing and cannot redshirt and get on the field if you're good, that and you show and you show out, you're stealing the opportunity. They're not gonna blow, they're gonna be like, we got a guy. It's gonna change, it might change the way that they recruit and you're not going to have to deal with that added, you know, level of competition if you sit out and let everything pass you by. Sports are a, ne- a next man up mentality. Opportunity is key. You get very few opportunities once you get to the college level and you have to be healthy. You have to be ready to take advantage, you know, of that opportunity. Um Timing is a thing. So when you look at the different classes, you have to be able to get in at the right time. And if you are being recruited as a pitcher, you know what that means? They need pitchers, generally. So if you're, I mean, everyone always needs pitchers, let's be real. But your your timing has to be on in order to take it to the top. If you look at most of these, unless you're the five-star guy that just had his path all the way proven, a lot of my athletes, the way that they've been able to step in and make an impact is healthy and ready when opportunity seeks. There's a lot of injuries that goes on in sports and at the college level, it increases even more. And you being available and ready when these guys go down, you're you're right in there. Um, So... We talked about another con is once you use it, you can't get it back. So this is the mulligan. You want to save that thing for a rainy day. You never know when you're going to need it. And as I said in the intro of what we were talking about, to me, the biggest problem is you may not take your senior year as serious if you go into it thinking that you're going to redshirt. So things that I see with redshirt mentalities going into the freshman year, number one, Hey, let's play a second sport. Let's write out our senior year with our buddies. Well, the whole time that you're doing that through that six months, you're not getting stronger. You're not getting bigger. You're not getting faster. A lot of vacations pop up. Hey, maybe we'll go to Italy. That'd be great. Um, That is just another month. You take a two-week trip to Italy, and that's another month that you're not training to prepare to make an impact. Um, Okay, so you're not... You're not... uh, you got to look at the social life. So if you're not taking things as seriously and you're not training and you're playing other sports and you're more likely to, so I don't know, vape, maybe play more video games, maybe drink, smoke weed. I feel like if you're not spending your time training and developing, you're more likely to put yourself in a bad situation. Um, and then I already brought it up, but yeah, your weights, if you're a weight gain guy, your weight's going down. If you're, it, it's, it's, if you don't have a goal of the weight and the size and the direction and the goal setting of what you want to do, you're more likely to not hit those goals because it's like, really doesn't matter what I come in in August because I got another year. But what you've done is you've lost six months of a tight training window. And once again, people think of the colleges. I have all this time. You don't have a lot of time. It's your freshman year, sophomore year, and junior year. If you're trying to go up these tiers and make it as a professional level, 
Um, you don't have a lot of time. You have to build a whole bunch of accolades and you need to be an All-American and first-team All-Conference. And it has to happen now because your future at the professional level is really dictated not through four complete years of college. It's, you know, baseball. You're trying to get drafted your junior year. And football, you can take it all the way out. They're trying to delay. But then there's the back end, whereas if you're too old, it gets looked at as a negative. Um, if you come out of football and hitting the red shirts, it got really ridiculous with COVID. There's 27-year-olds out there. There's guys that were using the COVID, a two-year COVID plus a red shirt. So I had a pitcher, and he was like, dude, it was weird. I was 20, I'm 26 years old, and there's this little snot-nosed 17-year-old kid catching for me. And he's like, the whole dynamic is 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 weird. So, but we shouldn't have that problem anymore because COVID apparently isn't a thing. Um, <clears throat> so those are my takes on the cons of red shirting. Go shove, go get fast, get huge, and go play and show out as soon as possible. Unless, you know, you're one of those special cases. But it you can't go just right into it believing that that's the best move yeah absolutely it's always better to be early than late when it comes to to playing and showing your potential so uh late bloomers happen but if you're early you get more time to play that's what it's all about uh for to to finish our episode uh we have a little little thing that Ned wants to talk about, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, actually, uh, although I did not bring it up. We're going to be talking about white rice versus brown rice. Uh, Ned's a little heated about his rice. You want to tell us why? I mean, killing me. I spend my life in a box trying to teach kids what to eat and separating fact from fiction and myth and all the crazy things that people are throwing out there. So. I get a bling text from one of my athletes that says he it's the copy paste uh, Instagram post. And the guy goes on this big, long rant, how white rice is better than brown rice. And he was a vegetarian and he had his bones crushing and he had all these these diseases and problems and health issues and his gut health was terrible. And he basically it was clickbait. So his pitch was how bad brown rice is for you. And the first thing that he brought up is that the arsenic levels are way higher in brown rice than white rice. So the first thing I had to do was start looking into this arsenic situation. Um, and the answer is yes, it is higher. And if in eating super high volumes of brown rice with this high arsenic, then you could have problems. But the first thing you do is if you wash your rice, uh, that drops the arsenic levels 53%. Now, once you look at the, once you look at the volume of rice that you're taking in, if you are eating, if you're not eating like an asshole, you're, you should be eating rice, I don't know, one to two times a week. And the portion size um, is going to be, because if you're eating the brown rice, generally you're trying to get leaner. You're not the guy who needs to smash 5,000 calories. If you got to smash 5,000 calories, it doesn't matter. But this particular athlete is, you know, beefy. 
and needs to be less beefy. Um, so just wash the rice that cuts it down in half and then have your cup of cooked rice one to two times a week. And you're really not going to sell me that having two cups of rice a week is going to destroy your gut health and it's absolutely terrible for you. So the problem that I have is white rice is on a former podcast of the top five worst carbohydrates you can have along with mashed potatoes, uh, white bread, bagels, which was number one. And it's liquid sugar. And it's the, the one of the reasons why that we have diabetes issues is ultra processed carbohydrates. So you're basically trying to tell everyone because you want to increase the amount of likes that you have that brown rice is worse than white rice and white rice just makes people fat and increases the chance of getting diabetes. The only time you should have white rice is after you left. Um, and my problem is when I'm trying to get somebody leaner, you know, if you don't have net as a resource where you could text 24 seven, uh, you're going to, I have this overweight kid that's going to be deciding to make white rice, um, all the time because some guy on Instagram said that it was healthier than brown rice, therefore making him fatter, messing with his blood sugar levels, making him crave carbs when his blood sugar levels drop and then reach out to eat more things like candy or more rice. And it's that carb cycle. So you are just trying to make my kid who I've been working for three years to eat the right way. You are just fucking that all up. And that pisses me off. Yeah, that, that pissed me off too. Uh, I actually did not, I was not a big rice person. Uh, brown rice was one of the first, was really the only rice I had. So like brown rice and salmon, that uh, that was like my first rice meal. Just wasn't a huge fan. I've, I've come to appreciate like stir fry, but brown rice and like white rice, there's not a huge difference between the two taste wise. So like just suck it up and eat the brown rice. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I don't know. How about this? Have one night have red skin potatoes, one night have brown rice. One night have a sweet potato, one night have, you know, whole wheat bread, and one night don't have any carbs. Yeah, that's not uh a... One night have whole wheat thin spaghetti. Why don't we just have six different types of slow-absorbing quality carbs in a week? It's not that hard. I just broke down your carbs for the week. You want to pair it? You want to have a grilled chicken? With your Barilla whole wheat thin spaghetti with some sauce, low calorie sauce on the top with some shredded mozzarella. There's a day for you. Do you want to take your, um, I don't know, I could go through. I'm not going to do this. This is a Ned tangent. But you, my point you know is. know what it is, is he wants the white rice from Chipotle. The brown rice a, of Chipotle is not good. That's what it is. I mean, that's that stuff. A is like fake brown rice, probably, and it's really not as healthy. But it tastes amazing. And you know, where brown rice gets, if you buy the real brown rice and you're watching it, and it's shit that takes twenty five minutes to make. You know that stuff. I haven't learned to prepare it to be great. But my point is, we don't don't eat brown rice every day. Again, that's you're not supposed to do that anyways. You're not supposed to routine eat anything every single day. That's the best way to be more beefy because you get tired of that and then you're going to eat white rice. Yeah. 
I'll just binge eat. I'll be like me. You're just ordering baklava at 9.30 at night because you're sad that you have to record a podcast and you're sleepy. But I did not do that today. So score one for me. Um, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the NES Experience. We appreciate you guys tuning in, listening to our episode. And uh, we will be back, I believe, in two weeks, maybe a week. We'll keep you tuned. But just check back, you know, every so often on a Wednesday. Think of us. Uh, we think of you guys. So we'll see you soon.